everyone. We're looking at Manhood, the Masculine Virtues, American Needs, Chapter 7, uh, titled Warrior. And um, what comes to your mind when you hear that word, warrior? Well, we live in Fort Bragg. I mean, Fort Liberty. So The base formerly known as Fort Bragg. Yes. So, you know, all, forces. all of the men that, that I've known over the past 22 plus years that I've been here who go to work every day. Um, I always thought of the old uh, Western movies and cowboys and Indians and Indian warriors with painted faces going out to protect their land and tribes. Yeah. He goes into a lot of history in the beginning. Did you enjoy that history, Jack? Did anybody in this room enjoy that history? Or yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was neat to be able to tie his own family to it. Yeah, I was thinking you know, I, one I, thing I have no idea what my family is yeah, like. It's one thing to tell us a story of, you know, someone that's in, in classic Americana history, you know, um, Billy the Kid or whatever, but to be able to tie your family history back to our fam her, my wife's family owned this land, and this is a, a folklore, um, you know, which he acknowledged, but you at least be, have that historical tie to it. Now let's talk about that folklore or potential folklore. Who's got it? Who wants to tell the story? Nobody. Okay. Nobody I, guess. I will. I'll do all my talking now. Um, so his wife's family back in <clears throat> the 1860s, um, he mentions in the, the New Mexico region, the northeast corner of um, Cimarron Canyon, that uh, one of his family members, Susan, um, and her son, Bud, who um, were missing a husband and a father. I don't remember that he told us the reason why. Um, but she decided to relocate out west and go homestead with some family. And she did not realize it at the time, but the place where they chose to homestead um, was right along a path that was very uh, often used as a pathway for those who would be um, robbers, the, the bandits, the marauders. Uh, and he tells of this Captain William Coe, who was a well-known cattle thief who would patrol this area. And it ended up being that Susan and her land with Bud became... Um, kind of a, a rest stop, if you will. He would take advantage of there being no man on the property. And for several years, or summers at least, um, he had taken advantage of that while stealing cattle and things from other people. And it finally comes to a head when he is on the run that after several days of being on the run, he comes back to Susan's homestead um, requesting some respite and while he is asleep her son Bud who is but a teenager at the time um, sneaks off property and goes and gets the uh, the organized forces the, the militia the, yeah the posse that has been hunting this man down um, and she is basically hoping and I don't remember if he specified praying but like the the whole thing was based upon can her son get to the forces, get them back before this man and the potential folks that he has with them wake up? Um, and so it ended up being that that was the case. And so, um, as he says, as the day waned, Susan saw dust rising in the canyon. 
um, Bud had found the soldiers, and so Co um, had awakened to a cabin or a bunkhouse surrounded by soldiers with rifles. Um, and he's supposedly being um, quoted in, as remarked of, I never figured to be outgeneraled by a woman, a pony, and a boy. Uh, and so that's the, the folklore story that his wife's family has uh, to live off of. And then he ties that into the picture of that Bud became a man when he did that very daring deed. And so then he brings it into the scripture, <clears throat> and then his whole point to the chapter is challenging us as young boys to mature into young men that are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others, uh, and it can be life and death. Yeah, and, and once again, we just keep running into these issues. The dark frontier. You guys with me? Mm -hmm. The Bible discloses the character of a warrior in the story of Joshua who faced dark forces to build a new Eden. <sighs> it's like, why did he need to say that, Mike? I mean, yeah, there, there were people in Canaan that that were not supposed to be there because of the promise, and yeah, they had to get armies and defeat them, but the people that were in Canaan weren't necessarily dark forces. Yeah, but... Well, and the idea is God built Eden. Right. I just don't know why he didn't say conquer the promised land. I don't, yeah. I, don't I just can't figure yeah. out why... But that's been his theme, though. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. over and over again, it's it's. There's a new Adam and a new Eden for you. There's a new Adam and a new Eden for you. There's a, and I think if he walks away from that, it ruins the continuity. The, yeah, the continuity of his of his point that there's for every generation, for every family, there's an Adam and there's an Eden for you, and that's what as manhood, the, the, these masculine virtues that he he's pushing for, um, which we you know we've had no issue with the virtues. Um, but that every man has to identify he's the Adam and what's his Eden that he's supposed to be um, pushing against these dark Yeah, forces. but have you ever considered the process of the feminization uh, that he might be going against? I mean, this guy is in the what's characterized by a lot of our society as a toxic male encampment within the Republican Party, a hardcore MAGA, mm -hmm. Trump-aligned. And in them, there's this bravado of manhood to such a degree hyped up that there's, they, they carry this label toxic, and it's almost like in some ways he's writing... In, in, to push back on that idea and saying, no, a proper sense of manhood isn't toxic. A pro proper sense of manhood isn't detrimental. Here's what it actually looks like. And I get the idea of light and darkness, but it's a literary technique to basically say that you guys are in the dark and we're in the light. In other words, you're, you're clouded. Your your brain's in the dark. You 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 have you're clouded, and we have uh, a uh, clear understanding because we can see clearly. Yeah, I get that, Jack. My struggle is the Eden idea. Yeah, the Eden part is very problematic because I just see that we're supposed to see Eden as being the culmination of the new heaven and the new earth, not something that I have the not yet imagined of or seen building here. Yeah. It, 
He just doesn't do a good enough job of relating this to the church today, the Great Commission, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the reality that your body is a temple. He, he just, I, I know where he's going. It's okay, but it, it's just, maybe it's fine for the, the typical ignorant Christian who really doesn't have a clue what their Bible is all about, and it's like a motivational book to be a better man. Okay, it, yeah, I'd say that's it. His audience is the unbelievers within the United States. Or the nominal Christian. Who have uh, Christian-esque virtues. Yeah. Well, at the bottom 108, that's what I underline on the same aspect. And he says that um, there at the very end, they, they, he's talking about the Epicureans that he's been talking about, they do not appreciate the presence of evil, which I rightly agree. And they do not understand a man's role in answering it. And I put question mark, what and how is my role in answering evil? And I mean, and is it the gospel or is it political cleverness? Is it to build um, a, a nation of law-abiding citizens who follow all these um, you know, rules and get it all right? Or is it to have a heart converted? And we understand, obviously it's rhetorical, that we we can't do anything about evil. Christ does what is ne- necessary about evil in our own very hearts. Yeah, but John, I would say it's still yes, yes, and yes to your question. Because I was explaining to my government class today before we got into the process of making the law, what makes a good law and what makes a bad law. And we talked about the centrality of essence of a law. <laughs> that there's a central there's a central essence of every single law, and that is its root basis in morality. Mm-hmm. And from everybody's perspective, their morality is correct. But if you're holding to the Christian worldview, God is perfect, His law is perfect, therefore the morality that the Bible expresses is the perfect morality. And therefore, the laws crouched within it are perfect laws. So, as our laws mirror that, our laws will be closer to perfect. So, you want men who have that in their character, preferably the Holy Spirit indwelling them so that they clearly see it. But you, at best or at worst, you would want the ones that are on the peripheral edge of it going forward because you don't want a Hitler making a law because his perspective of morality is so skewed from what we would say is okay because of the Holocaust. But I would answer to that that the one exists inside of the other. So the morality of God exists inside the gospel. So why have we decided that it would be easier to build backwards build the morality first and then get to the gospel rather than build the gospel first and then get to the morality. Why would we decide it in our nation that that's the best way to go in the political structure? Because we don't follow God. Because he's not writing to Christians. At least I don't think he is. No. So then we put our hope in the God. I think he would be totally satisfied if we got back to the generation of World War II. Yeah. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, that if we got to that level of manhood, <clears throat> he would be totally happy, even though the percentage of believers during that period of time may not have been any better, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, to, to go back to your thought, John, uh, John I think um, there is a role for confronting evil outside of the gospel, um, but it's Certainly, not yeah. an individual role. It's a uh, under the auspices of a, yeah, of the government. Who, who wields the sword. Right, not in vain, right. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, I mean, I think there are evil forces all over the world, and they need to be crushed like a cockroach. And every time it raises its ugly head, there, there's a God-ordained entity that, that can do that. Um, and, and, and so he gets to appeal to that aspect of humans. Like, let me be part of something like that. Um, but stopping short of the reality that God will ultimately defeat evil and that there is a world to come in which evil will not reign. Um, that, 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 that's, my, that's my critique of the book over and over again is it just takes us right to the edge of where we need to be and then doesn't follow through. Brian? I was just thinking, you know, like, trying to walk the balance between how much of this is, is he taking from a, a poor biblical stance and how much of this... Uh, to give him the, you know, as we've said multiple times in reviewing these chapters, the benefit of the doubt on what he's trying to push through. Because he immediately, after that, um, what we've kind of discussed, he goes into boys and manhood and the the desire to wrestle, the desire to fight, the desire to have that, um, you know, kind of gruffness about them. Um, militarism is, is, you know, a word that he'll use in some places. Um, but that idea that pop culture or the, the Epicureans will label as toxic masculinity, the boys will be boys mindset, um, and he addresses the ADD and the ADHD um, concept with how they're diagnosing boys at a higher rate than, than girls on stuff like this. And so I see both sides of it, and so I'm trying to... I, I, Brian, I loved all of that. I thought he was spot on mm -hmm. in that whole section. I just think that he can do both. Right. That, that he doesn't have to do one or the other. You, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I, we, we, we are losing it. When, when Johnny takes a, his, his hand and makes a gun out of it, mm -hmm. and you're ready to suspend, suspend him. Zero I tolerance. Mean, yeah, yeah, we've lost it as a society. We've yeah. just utterly lost it. Yeah. The, le the Lego mini figurine. The, right. Um... right. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. You know? I mean... My omen opa didn't buy us guns, would not even think about taking us to his door store. I'm talking about my brother and my, my brother Scott and my. So, man, every stick, every rock, we took any piece thing into his, his workshop when he was at work all day, turned on everything, cut ourselves, making guns, just, you know, I mean, we, we were going to do it. I mean, that's just about. We, yeah. The thing he doesn't address that I kind of wish he would have um, is the role between the institution and the family. Because as I was reading through, you know, and he's saying, well, schools won't let them do this, schools won't let them do this, schools won't let them do this. And, you know, trying to be balanced, and I'm thinking as, as, a, as a parent who has children in elementary school, as a, as a teacher who has taught elementary school, like, 
when I'm at home, I will let my boys. My wife gets frustrated with me when I let my boys continue to be physically aggressive with each other. Right. Beyond where her limit would say let them, they need to stop. I will let them go at it because I understand as boys they need to not only release some of that, but they've got to figure out what happens when I take on someone that's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. You know, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm okay with that being happening in, on the school play yard. Sure, yeah. There's a and time so, and you know, so I was trying to work through it. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't agree with their policy, what would be my policy? Mm-hmm. Be, as far as, like, institutionalized. Like, I, I get to set the policy in my family, but what would it look like if I were the one calling the shots? Like, sure, I'd be like, well, no, you can... If the Lego came to school with the rifle in his hand, we're not going to make it a discipline issue. Well, you got to be intelligent you can't let a guidebook guide you and you can't let a set of lawyers intimidate you and i gotta tell you there's a big narrative that's just so it's out there influencing every part of the academia world and that is you know the the oppression of women narrative um, is just huge i mean every class almost at college that i've taken it's been addressed over and over and over in classes that have nothing to do with any type of anthropology or history or anything like that. It is, it is an accepted narrative that all men are aggressive, all men want to dominate women, all men want to treat them as less than human. It, it's just, it's almost said now without any challenge. And so, Jack, I think many of those um, school um, leadership people, um, not at our school necessarily, but in, in our school maybe, um, but they've been trained at these universities and they're, and they're in that culture. And so it's almost like a, a just a default understanding, a way of seeing the world. So they're going to, and many of them are female themselves, which are going to have the, you know, less of that aggressive tendency in their, themselves. And so it's just going to track with being very, very way far away from allowing a male to be aggressive. Yeah. So this is so when, when y'all opened the we opened the podcast and and I think the question was when you hear the word warrior, what do you think of? And I thought psychological warfare. Um, I I think the war of ideas is more deadly than an actual combat war. Because I think every combat war starts as in the war of ideas. And the concept of who's influencing the mind. I mean, Napoleon was, if you give me the hand that rocks the cradle, rules the world. Hitler said, give me the youth. I mean, it's a constant thing. And our school systems have been doing that. It's give me the youth. Give me the youth. Because if I can train them. So what happened was you didn't want to go fight the Vietnam War. So there was a group of pacifist professors, and they were in the minority. But they didn't agree with the, uh, the Vietnam War. So they would give really easy tests, and people would pass our tests so their GPAs would stay high enough. And people started saying, hey, when you go to, go to that university, 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 go to that university so you can avoid the draft, so you can avoid the going to combat, so you can go avoid the war. And they became the professors. They became the lawyers. They're the people that are in Congress now. 
that's how you take over. So Google is now the theater of operations. It's the, it's, so yes, Google, YouTube, I mean, anything that is teaching boys to come apart. So I was watching this thing, you mentioned the ADHD. So I was watching this thing the other day, Brian, that was interesting. And I think it was Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about how when a boy sits for so long, he has to get that out. Mm -hmm. So since he can't get that out, it turns into, let me look around, let me do this, let me do this, let me do that. And it's because it starts at such a young age, he begins to be trained in that aspect. Of being he doesn't distracted. have a Fitbit that tells him you need to get up and move. He, he, right. <laughs> so he becomes trained in that aspect of being distracted and moving all around. Yeah. So, and then he gets diagnosed ADHD. It comes up, and they're not doing a blood panel to see if there's actually a hormonal thing. If he actually needs medication, they're just medicating. Well, I will give the kudos to the doctors that diagnosed my grandson. They said, there's nothing wrong with this kid. He doesn't have ADHD. He's just a normal kid. He's really smart. Well, that's shocking. Yeah. yeah. It was refreshing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, <clears throat> Mike. So on bottom of 117, <clears throat> again, how he engages into the discussion or the topic from the Bible, I'm not a big fan of. But when he says, by our choices, we can welcome evil, disorder, and chaos in our lives. Mm. We turn our souls into a wasteland, so we must make other choices. We must do what Joshua did, drive out the darkness. You know, I thought that was a great point for all of our listeners within the church family. You know, we need to understand that concept. Even as believers, <clears throat> we can bring sin, we can bring evil into a believing household if we don't stop sinning. And so... Um, you know, and that's how that's how we we drive out the darkness is by stopping to sin. Yeah, he continues. What evil have you compromised with in your mm -hmm. life? Allowed to slither in by slow degrees, a little here, a little there. Maybe it's laziness. Mikey's spot on. Yes, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, just like perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's exactly the reality. Have you stopped giving your full effort at work or with your family, like? On more than one occasion, I've had an employee tell me, not in the church context, they've, they've told me, you know, I'd do better if I make more money. So I'll go, all right, I'll give you a raise right now. And I give him a raise. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. It's just, it's, it's, it's a fallacy, you know. I'm only giving this much effort because you're only paying me this much amount of money. If you were paying me more, I'd give this much more effort. It's, it's not true. It is simply not a true thing. You either have it within you to do better, or you don't have it within you to do better, and it's a choice you make each and every day. Um, and and, and that, that was excellent. I was watching something about the check, getting the check. You know, that's, that's the goal now, to get a check from the government. That's the end-all, be-all. If you can just get the disability check, if you can get on that dole, whether it's military disability, whatever. And then you think, how many people have lost future income because of the complacency the check creates? It doesn't motivate them to do more. 
they don't say to themselves, well, I'm already getting $40,000 a year from the government in my disability, but if I really got busy working hard, got a good degree, I, that would just be bank money. No, that, that actually serves to curb their ambition because they don't need to work this higher level. Um, yeah, well, I don't even want to go into that anymore because it's everywhere in our society. It's, and he's right. But there is a balance to it. Because sometimes it does happen where you have a situation in which companies don't pay hard workers appropriately. So you take, like, I was watching, a, and he, he recorded his Zoom meeting with the HR boss. And she was on him for, for having a 50% drop in work production in his third year of employment with the company. And she wanted to know why. And he said, well, the first year I was with you, I was the number two salesman in the company, yes or no? And she said, yes. And the second year, I was number one, yes. And I asked for a raise. And you told me my salary was the median salary for somebody in my position. Since you, only, since you set a system up where there is no incentive to work hard, and I'm gonna be paid the median rate, you're gonna get the median work. Now, I'm not saying he had the right attitude, but sometimes it's being propagated by us not honoring those who actually work hard. And the laborer is definitely worthy of, so, I mean, and we just gotta start thinking about that sometimes too. It's, it's both ends of the spectrum that's messing it up. The lazy, the lazy people who won't work and the other people who are because of the love of money, which is the root of all evil, are at taking advantage of people in the middle who are just trying to get by. And some of them were hard workers, but they got burned. I mean, how much more can you... Because you think about it. If you have a guy on your crew and he's an exceptional worker, are you going to go to him more often? Or you can go to somebody else so that he's picking up the slack for uh, from a deadbeat who's actually still on the being on the payroll. Yeah, and that's the struggle that you always have, Jack, everywhere. I, I know, but 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 this is the mentality of the new generation. Mm -hmm. It's the and and it's hard for us to understand because I think most of us are Gen X. Is anybody a boomer? If you are, you're a late boomer, early Gen X. And in that aspect, so in that in that aspect of it, it's very hard for us to understand that because that's not who, how we are. That's not how we were raised. But that's why the average person will have seven jobs by the time they're thirty-five. Because because they're and they actually go out looking, and so if you don't have the right climate, you don't have the right this, you don't have the right that, you don't have the right that, they're going to jump. I mean, it's just all of these things are adding into that aspect of it that they're not going because what they saw was is they saw us dragging and our backs bowing and things falling off. And a lot of times it was them, the kids. All right, anything else in this chapter about being a warrior? Well, 
Alec, you know, his his starts on 118. He talks about you know we have to stop compromising mm -hmm. within our own life, mm -hmm. uh, and then he talks about how uh, pride, especially for men, is a big sin issue. And then he talks over then on 120, yeah. and he challenges us to grow as warriors and to measure our self worth by our success, our significance, uh, by their joy. Or sorry, by others. Sorry, I measure our self worth by their being others' success, uh, our significance by their joy, the joy of others around us, and the advancement of growth in our own character. And it comes circles back to, you know, the the idea of sacrifice. Uh, that being a man means that you're going to be called to sacrifice, make sacrifice. And I thought I agreed 100% through all of that. Yeah, that started. You know, the idea is stop buying stuff to make yourself feel better and give your life to others. Which, you know, and I remember having a conversation with a married guy years and years ago that, you know, any extra money he had, he was buying something for himself and his wife was sitting in my office going, yeah, I haven't had a new dress in years and my our kids don't get clothes and on and on. You know, it's like you just need to sacrifice and stop buying yourself stuff and get them something. It seems almost so basic, doesn't it? <laughs> so intuitive, like you want to say, duh. But I, I mean, I could see his train of thought and why he did what he did. We just had to reprogram there. But. All right, anything else? I mean, I appreciate um, in his writing the fact that when he gives um, big, grand ideas, he also gives very practical do this um, yep. and, and we know as men that's kind of the way we need to hear things and um, he um, I don't think he over promises I think you know, think he's right on on many stuff a lot of stuff you know just no this is a man who lives by courage and love and hope will be changed that is not some pie in the sky thing that's an absolute fact sure yeah I mean we want you to read the book we absolutely want you to read the book <clears throat> we want you to find the book, get it for Father's Day, have someone buy it you for you Father's Day. Of course, or maybe get it on audio because you don't read it, but maybe you'll listen to it driving back and forth from work, and that would be fine. Maybe you'll put your earbuds in when you're working out at the gym, and, and you'll listen to something beyond music and, and be challenged to think about a few of these things. Um, are you a warrior? Do you have a son that you're developing warrior-like traits in? Um, I have a granddaughter now, and I guess I don't even know how to what the difference is because, uh, I mean, she's as rough with me as Austin ever was, and um, you know we're, we 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 I, I don't know. I'm, I think that'll change as she comes into puberty. Sure, sure. <clears throat> and then the focus will be helping her to see she needs to look for a guy that has warrior ability and character. Sure. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of women that have warrior traits inside them um, in the sense of holding their families together and putting up with deadbeat dads and, and all kinds of stuff, Mike, and, and are just like forging away in spite of the reality of, of the lack of masculinity that is so 
prevalent today. I mean, something is even as simple as like shaking somebody's hand. Do you realize how how that's just like a lost thing nowadays? Looking them in the eye. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, 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 I don't know. It's just that's the one thing I appreciated about the school I used to teach at is um, they used to send them through that time period in sixth grade where they had to come to you, shake your hand, look in the eye, you know, make it their introduction, and then you could sign off on their paper, you know, for the, the cotillion thing or whatever that group does, you know, where it's like this is the process where you learn to be mm. proper in society. <laughs> All right, so chapter seven was um, warrior. What's chapter eight? Chapter eight is about being a builder. Okay, so father, warrior, builder. Yep. It has been started before that. Right. More power. All right, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you'll grab the book and let us know if you're reading it. Thanks. Thanks.